Hello, and welcome to Unsheathed with your hosts, Kyle Gold and Cam Hirosaki. We hope that you enjoy the program. Please stick around afterwards. There'll be cake and blowjobs. Hi, welcome to Unsheathed 36. We have returned in one piece from WonderCon and are back in our discreet mountain bunker location. I'm slightly congested, Calgol. <laughs> that wasn't even foster worthy. I was just trying to think of something clever and I failed again. I'm Cam Hirosaki and I have tea instead of alcohol. Maybe that's my problem. I think that could be. It's not as lubricating. I wouldn't say. Oh, it's got honey in it, so it's slippery and sticky. Honey's not slippery, honey. <laughs> you did not just call me a honey. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, girl. I have, I have tea also, which is good, but I also have my Coke Zero. Because, you know, nothing makes you healthier than Coke Zero. It was originally conceived of as a health tonic. Well, Coca-Cola was. Not Coke Zero, Coca-Cola. Yeah, but also originally had cocaine in it, so. Well, hell, what's not going to make you feel better if cocaine doesn't do the trick, right? That's true. It'll make you keep buying it, at least. Uh, so, we had a fun time at WonderCon. We really enjoyed the hanging out there with all the incredible non-furry people. And thanks once again to Jaded Fox, who gratefully supplied most of the questions for the podcast because a lot of people we asked to talk kind of ran away yeah actually uh i was pleased upon listening to uh the final cut of that episode that we lost most of our failed attempts to get questions from people who ran away when we stuck a microphone in their face yeah kit did a good job uh sorry k-tech did a good job uh putting that together so <laughs> thanks also to him as always <laughs> Like, Hi, random people. Do you want to talk to a gay, furry, adult writing podcast? We didn't even say that. We just said, hey, would you like to ask us a question about writing? And they were like, mm-hmm. It wasn't like we asked them to, you know, service us or something. Anyway, <laughs> Otter's all kind of flustered and distracted now, uh, which was not my intention. It's got the um, ten yard stare of by the time yeah, now he's imagining a story at a convention where uh, there's kind of like a booth and people lining up and anyway. Which gets to an email we got that we're not gonna read today, but uh, uh that was a teaser for y'all. Um so there are some major awards are still open for voting. You should vote for your favorite furry story, novel uh, movie, comic book, published illustration, uh, anthology yeah. of ten erotic short stories based on the Ten Commandments, uh, novel about a football player and his gay activist boyfriend, you know, just as, a, as an example. Uh, it's www.ursamajorawards.org. .org, yes. And uh, I think there's a link on the front page you can go vote. Um, that's open till April 18th, which I believe is this coming Sunday, so... Yeah, by the time this episode drops, you can probably count on one paw how many days you have left to vote, so... If you have one of regular paws and not one of those, like, Disney cartoon paws with three fingers. Uh, I don't want that few fingers. (laughs) I like having my digits. 
I know you do. Um, so, yeah, be sure and go vote on those, because, you know, I, all joking aside, if you do vote for us, that's great. We really, really appreciate it. Um, if, But it's really just more important for you to go out and vote for the stuff that you like, because it really means a lot to the artists, and that's how we writers get recognition in the furry fandom, because we can't sit in the dealer's room and sell sketches for 50 bucks a pop. Yeah, true. And there's still no podcast category. No, hint, but hint. there might be next year. We're getting a lot of a lot of podcasts in the recommended list, and uh, I keep telling people, write in and tell them you want a podcast category. They move slow, but they do move eventually. I mean, I think that the furry podcasting market is certainly, you know, wide enough to warrant one. Oh, yeah, there's like a dozen of furry podcasts out there. Um, there was also, just real quick, there was also kind of an interesting thread on FA in the past couple weeks talking about the future of furry writing and uh, how it could possibly be broken out into the mainstream. Um, there was a lot of a lot of interesting back and forth on it. Um, you know, my opinion in general is the... The example that I kind of see furry fiction following most closely is cyberpunk, which in the mid '80s had a big flowering kind of, yeah, as opposed to our fiction, which has deflowering. But uh, cyberpunk had like a Neuromancer, which won a Hugo and Nebula award, yeah, and then cyberpunk became very hip for like five, ten years, and. A lot of people got uh, got stories published. They were cyberpunk anthologies. They were cyberpunk novels. Um, then eventually, the Matrix Reloaded was made, and the whole genre died. Yep, it was the Matrix was sort of like the showgirls to Elizabeth Berkeley's career. What I just wrecked my analogy, but you know what I mean. Yes, I do. Um, but honestly, the interesting thing about cyberpunk is. It's still around, and people are still kind of aware of it, but it's not a big movement so much anymore. Because it feels so dated. Yeah. Because, like, real-world technology has so far eclipsed what a lot of the, you know, tropes were supposed to embody. Well, you still can't, like, jack into the neural net into your skull, but... No, but people are pretty much connected to, you know, internet sensations, like, almost 24 hours a day. People have it on their phone now, and, you know... That's just... true. I do know people who can't seem to function without a phone in their paws. Um, but, uh... No, but I think... So, I, th- I think the way that things will go, and I, I did say that I posted this on the forum, is I think it's just going to be one furry novel that's well-written enough that it captures the attention of the mainstream and you know probably most of my work is not going to qualify for that because hell apparently we can't even get a gay romantic comedy released over here i was just going to say much less a gay furry romantica novel um for those of you who don't know there's a comedy called i love you philip morris which stars jim carrey and ewan mcgregor in which we'd never heard of until our uh good friend foosball pointed out that it had been released in the uk like in march and they still haven't really found an american distributor for it and that's a shame yeah because they're both marketable people they're both good actors i mean well and that was kind of the question posed in the article is you know it's not like this is 
a couple of unknowns doing a gay romantic comedy. This is Jim Carrey. This is yeah. Ewan McGregor. I mean, it's Obi-Wan Kenobi <laughs> and Ace Ventura. Oh, my God. Oh, you just ruined the movie and haven't even seen it. <laughs> I mean, who wouldn't want to see that? Now I'm just imagining like Ewan McGregor doing his like deadpan Alec Guinness impression, but like saying like dirty gay sex dialogue. And of course, as soon as I mentioned Ace Ventura, everybody thought about Jim Carrey talking out of his butt. So, oh, my brain just melted. <laughs> and with that, um, but anyway, yeah, I think the the one thing that I am kind of optimistic about is that there's a lot more activity in the furry writing scene than there was um, even, you know, five years ago when I, well, actually it's about six years ago that I started writing novels. Um, and there's a lot more activity, there's a lot more interest, uh, as evidenced by the fact that, you know, we have people listening to this podcast, which, yeah. I mean, you know, listen to us just blabber on for half hour four to five minutes is pretty cool yeah one of the points i saw raised in that same thread was people were trying to split hairs between well are you talking about the future of furry writing or the future of furry publishing and then by extension you know is this a thing about marketing and they're trying to you know expand you know the sort of reader base and honestly I don't think that furry fiction is something that by itself is going to just sort of discover this reader base. And I don't think it's a bad thing that it's like that. I mean, I think that as it is, the people who want to read this sort of stuff are starting to read it. Yeah. I mean, and, I mean let's get our readership up in the furry fandom yeah, first, and then exactly. we can worry about the mainstream. I mean, like, our, our biggest problem was that we, wouldn't, we couldn't get furries to read furry writing. Like, let's focus on that before we try to get regular people to... And that's happening a lot more now, too, which is very cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, the other thing, kind of, I think where, where my name came up a few times is there's sort of a general sensation of, well, of course, all the sex writing is popular, but we need to get people to read, you know real good writing and I think you know the people kind of seem to indicate that or they seem to believe that that was a problem with the fandom and I, as I pointed out in a private letter um, that's a problem with humanity yeah I mean there's a reason that uh, you know Danielle Steele is outsold um, I don't know pick an author you love Ted Chang who's a brilliant science fiction yeah. writer who's released two anthologies or an anthology and a novel. And, um, there's a reason that, you know, trashy romances are on the bestseller list all the time. There's a reason that, um, you know, I'm a fan of the young adult paranormal stuff, you know, Cassie Clare and all that, but a lot of those books are not all that deep and they're not all that interesting. And they're basically sort of like Titanic with vampires. Yeah. Like a twilight. Exactly. You know, the reason the Twilight books are bestsellers, and I haven't read them, so again, I don't want to comment on them, but, um, you know, it, there's. I think there's kind of this illusion that if, you know, if we can only get out in the mainstream there, they would appreciate good writing, and, you know, the colleges of this country and all over the world are thick with graduate students and creative writing who believe that if they can only get people to appreciate good writing, they'll yeah. be rich and famous. And Everyone wants to write the next Ulysses. 
but uh, yeah, that's that's a whole different problem, actually. So I don't know, and of course I'm you know speaking from kind of a biased position because I write stuff that is popular. So, well, I mean, again, if you want to talk about oh, if you make something sexual, people are immediately just going to go for that. I will direct you once again to Showgirls with Elizabeth Berkley. Yeah. Uh, I would not have thought when we started doing this podcast that before we got through 50 episodes, we would do a podcast where we had two references to Showgirls. So, well done. Uh, I think that's the most anyone's mentioned Showgirls. I've so far managed to avoid watching it myself. But, um, but yeah, you know, I'm, I'm very fortunate, and I certainly did not start out to write things that were popular and I think you know people who were not around on the scene five six years ago I've, I've mentioned this a few times but you know when we published Vol um, Sofwolf was taking a chance on me there was not a market yeah. for gay adult novels at that point so you know I just kind of try to improve my writing as much as I can uh, Shadow of the Father has very little sex in it. The Not the next novel that's going to be released, but the next one I plan to write has very little in it, may actually have no sex in it. Yeah. Waterways didn't have a whole lot either. Waterways didn't have a whole lot either. So it seems like it's just about every other book. <laughs> you go through phases like the tides. Yeah. Bridges <laughs> has tide, a lot of sex tide. in it. Though. High tide, low tide. But anyway, so I, I think it's really interesting. I'm delighted to be a part of it um i'm real excited to see where it's going and uh you know we're uh we're still going to be here talking about our uh furry writing and blowjobs as long as people will listen to us so and speaking of you know adult furry fiction and you know novel markets and whatnot uh I am sort of technically writing a novel now, oh, at least yeah. according to some arbitrary definitions. Congratulations. And I hesitate to speak of a market for it, because I honestly don't know what I'm going to do with it yet. I don't have any plans, so don't bombard me with that. All I'll say is that step number one is for me to finish writing it. And uh, that is a good step number one. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm guessing I'm probably about two-thirds of the way through like draft 1.5. It originally just started as a like a 15k well, short story and you know that was my first draft and the kind folks who looked it over were like yeah now you need to flesh this out and so you're, i'm doing that you're doing some real interesting stuff with it too i'm trying to it's certainly um it's making me think in ways that are uh atypical for me and but- i think that the people who read it would you know, I bet if I published it under a different name and somebody picked it up and read it, they wouldn't necessarily guess that I wrote it. There's a couple bits in there that are kind of stylistically yours, but... Yeah. I don't want to talk about it like I'm trying to be super vague, but that's about all I can say right now. Well, if you've heard Hirosaki-san mention his 3,000-word sex scene, that's the story that it was in. Yep. I'm just trying to fluster him while he has a mouthful of hot tea. <laughs> Uh, but we should get to some letters here because uh, we've been having guests on and all kinds of stuff like that. And we've been we are ne- still checking our inbox, honest. We've been neglecting our inbox. It's collecting e-dust. <laughs> and I mean Which, that as in, like, electronic digital dust, not like you 
crumbled up a thing of ecstasy and turned it into dust. Wow, that would be interesting. Um, I can read the first one. So we have, Dear Kyle Gold and Kame Hirasaki, I am mostly a poet, but on occasion I do like to write. That sounds like there's a joke in there waiting to be made. <laughs> like, I don't write, I'm just a poet. Uh, I know many people stress that you write all the time. Uh, if I've listened to some of the Unsheathed episodes and I'm still working on them, but from what I've heard so far, you would en- uh, encourage newer authors to write more. I do not write very often. I only have a handful of stories, and currently, while I have worked on some things as of late, I have not put anything out in months. I have the time lying around, so that's not the issue. The issue is this. I like to write good stories, but there's a big difference between an okay story and a good one. I'm occasionally in the mood to write a good story, and when I am, I can actually write a good story. If I sort of want to write a story, you get an average one. Flat, normal, standard. I've written two, maybe three good stories. Uh, Reversing the Roles, which I'm I'm guessing is a story title of his, Mm -hmm. uh, actually got attention from some of the bigger names in the fandom, even though, ironically, the other story that I had up at the same time was my first real erotic story, and it still managed to get more views on Yifstar. Uh, I'm, I think he means that the non-erotic story was getting more views on Yifstar, or I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm not quite sure what he means there, actually. I like the feeling of knowing that I have a good, complete story with real words, real dialogue, and real passion. The problem is I can't do it on a dime, and sometimes it turns out badly if I try. I once scrapped an entire story because I knew it was worth so much more, and that I had screwed it up so terribly because I forced myself to write. But I suppose I should get to my actual question. Is it better to write okay stories that are not my best, or to sit on things and only write when you really feel the literary juices flowing? Sincerely, Zarin Isune. Uh, well, interestingly enough, uh, just today, there was a post on an agent's blog that I follow about the secret of writing, or one of the secrets of writing, and he... Um, he said, speaking of people who can't function without a phone in their paw, um, that was a- he said that uh, the secret of writing is what one author calls BIC, but in chair. <laughs> he says, you know, people all talk about the inspiration hitting, and uh, there's no novel has ever been written purely from bursts of inspiration. If authors waited for their bursts of inspiration, novels would take 100 years to write. You have to have discipline. Yeah. You have to sit down and get your butt in the chair and write. Yeah. And he said there's lots of variations on it. It's like, it's a nice day outside, but I have to write. There's a video game I want to play, but I have to write. You know? Yeah. You know, treat it like a job in a way. I think that in some sense he's sort of overthinking things here when he says oh, you know, you can write a good story or you can write an okay one, and should you write when you're not going to be writing a good story? Don't think of it like that. I mean, when, you, when you're sitting down to write, you should always strive to do your best job that you can with it. Well, but I know what he means, because, you know, we've all had that flash of inspiration where we're like, this is a cool story, and we know how to write it, and you yeah. kind of, you're driven to push all the way through it. Um, and what he's saying is, Sometimes if he's if he's just got sort of part of an idea or if it's not inspiring him and he writes it, it just comes out kind of flat. Um, and what I would say is, 
you need to train yourself to go through an editing process to turn that flat story into a good story. Yeah. Once you once you have something on paper, you can look at it and go, okay, why isn't this more interesting? How can I make it more interesting? And if you haven't gone through the step of at least getting something on paper, it's going to be almost impossible to refine something into an idea when it's just this nebulous thing that doesn't exist yet. Right. And, you know, this is something I say a lot to people, which is you make decisions about the priorities in your life. And a lot of people will come up and say, well, I really want to be a writer, but I just don't have the time to be a writer. And, you know, you ask them what they do with their time. And we did a panel on this at FurCon. I said, make a list of all the stuff in your life that is preventing you from writing that you feel, you know, you're, is taken away from your writing time. And that list is things that you are prioritizing over writing in your life. Well, I can't, I, you know, I have to go hang out with my friends. Well, I have to go play video games. Well, you know, I, I just, I'm too tired. I can't spare the time. I can't get up early enough in the morning, uh, you know, and then I come home from work and I have to make dinner and then I'm too tired to do it. Then, you know, TV shows are on and, and whatnot. You know, everybody has a life. Uh, more or less. <laughs> but, um, if the writing, if getting the stories out is important to you, if that's something that you really want to do, you will make the time not only to write when you're inspired, but to write when you're not inspired. And you'll make the time to learn to make those stories better. Yeah. And, you know, you know caveat up front, some of what you write will suck. Yes. You, you have to accept that. It will happen. You'll write something, and you could work on it for days, weeks, or longer, and then look at it and go, yeah, this was no good. And maybe you have to throw it out, but... You know what? If you're going to be sitting there and you're going to be writing all the time and you're going to keep working on ideas, not all of it's going to suck. And the more you practice, the better you get. Yep. It's just, you know, it's much more apparent with stuff like physical activity where, you know, you practice shooting a basketball every day. Eventually, you'll get pretty good at it. And you can kind of see the improvement. Like, you're like, okay, I made 12 baskets today and I made 14 tomorrow. and But... It's harder to see that improvement with writing, but it's there, yeah. honestly. And with very rare exceptions, you don't just decide you want to be good at something and then suddenly you're good at it. Right. You have to work for it. So We can play you a montage with, uh, yeah, you're the best. <laughs> so write, sto write stories and learn to make the flat ones good and learn to make good ones better. And which ties into our next email, actually. Uh, greetings again. First of all, I can assure a previous listener that they are not the only non-writer in the audience. I have aspirations to write a short story sometime, but I can't get past the substantial obstacle. I just can't come up with a good idea for one. Basically, the only ideas I have interest me, but no one else would care to read them. This is a dumb question, but given my paralyzing lack of creativity, do you have any advice that could help a thoroughly uncreative person be creative? Perhaps there's a pill I can take for that or something. Otherwise, since I'll clearly never make a living as an author, do you have any advice for getting started in a career as a dead hooker? Many thanks. Dimitri, Minister of Blowjobs. I really want to make a third Showgirls reference after that last question, but I can't justify it. Oh, we'll just leave that one. I think Minister of Blowjobs is a pretty good side career if you're not going to be a writer. But Actually, yeah. 
Although, in, in speaking of things that give Kaz a run for his money, uh, on Twitter it was uh, Marcus Noble was talking about how like oh, like every Friday I go and get my Slurpee. <laughs> and I commented, I'm like, you know, out of context, that sounds like really playfully naughty. It does, actually. I kind of like that. I thought you'd appreciate it. Although it does make me wonder if, like, Minister of Blowjobs is just, like, a guy behind a desk, and, like, if there's a substandard blowjob, he has to write it up and <laughs> report it to the authorities. And... Like a rubber stamp. Exactly. Um, well, again, a uh, couple things here. I mean, sit down and force yourself to write, and yeah. it's going to be bad. Um. Uh, what's uh, shoot? What's the comic guy's name? Barry Windsor Smith. So, uh, there's a famous saying: everyone has ten thousand bad drawings in them. Well, everybody has a bunch of bad stories in them. Um, Some of mine are online. Hirosaki-san <laughs> and I have both written a bunch of stories that no one's ever going to see. Um, but uh, so you know, sit down and sit down and write them out. Uh, don't get obsessed with the fact that maybe no one else is going to be interested in your ideas. Uh, like I said, when I sent Vault Sofa Wolf, I was basically like, you know, it's a romance with a gay fox and there's explicit sex in it. And, uh, I kind of like it. What do you guys think? And they thought they could sell it. And we, lo and behold, <laughs> we had, we had no idea. Yeah. I mean, I had a few stories online, but we thought maybe, you know, 30, 40 people might like it. So, yeah. I mean, when you're saying, like, oh, like, nobody's going to like this idea but me, like, well, how do you know that if you don't put it out there? Oh, exactly. Especially yeah. in the, uh, in the furry fandom. I mean, if you're passionate about an idea, chances are there's someone else out there who's passionate about it, too. I mean, there's like, yeah. what's the, not casting pedo necrophiles or something. Oh, pyropeta necrobestiality. Pyro, yeah. yeah. Wow. Why do I know that? I don't know, but I knew you would. Thank you, the good folks at Notcast. We haven't given yes. a shout out to them in a while. Thank you. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, unless the missed, story. Oh, missed, I was just going to say, I, I miss Saverin's voice reading my stories. <laughs> oh, I bet you do. <laughs> Uh, but no, getting back to this real quick, you know, unless the story that you, the idea that you have is really nothing more than gratuitous wish fulfillment, then, okay, write that story and then never show anyone. Uh, you know, that one you can just get out of your system. And well, that one you get out of your system and you post it to Yifstar. <laughs> or, I'm sorry, so furry. Uh, but yeah, I mean, those stories, there's... There's a place for just about everything you can write. I'm sorry, I cut you off. Oh, no. When I, when I meant gratuitous wish fulfillment, I meant, like, solely on the part of the author. Right. Sort and, of author injection into the story. Yeah, just like, look, look at how awesome I am. Which, you know, you're, right. you're probably the only person who's going to appreciate that story. So, I mean. <clears throat> uh, but, uh, yeah, uh, and that's true. But I, I, I do think that you know, especially in fandom fiction, there's a place for just about everything. And you can write a little wish fulfillment story and just post it up there. And, you know, if it's, like, fetish-based, that's going to attract attention. 
I mean, look at some of the top stories on yeah. So Furry. It's all, <laughs> so, like, someone's into it. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's all I'll say. Was it what, like the second most popular story on there was like cub incest or something? I believe it was. Non-consensual for... cub incest. I don't remember what other <laughs> tags were on there. It is outside my interest purview. Yeah. I think it doesn't actually show up on my account anymore. But um anyway, not to not to disparage it, I'm sure it's a fine story. It has a lot of popularity, so um it's moved some people, but yeah, that's the I mean that's the big thing, is just don't worry about who's gonna read it, don't worry about who else is gonna like it. If you're passionate about it, Sit down and write it. Uh, the only other thing I was going to say is, you call yourself a very uncreative person, but if you have story ideas, you're not uncreative. Yeah. It's just maybe writing might not be the right way for you to express those ideas. Um, you could do a comic script. You could do a, uh, you know, I don't. It's not easy to learn to draw by any means, but you could also draw characters. Um, you could write music. You could. Uh, role play online. Yeah. I mean, that's that's creative. It's not something you can kind of take around and show people. But you know, there are people yeah, that are, say like, yeah, like we're furries. We just make stuff up all the time. That's what we do. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> it's our raison d'être. All right, why don't you go on? Because I think we're who we get we're hello, Cam and Kyle. I was so upset when I realized I had missed your first listener challenge on air. Hopefully, I'll be able to catch the next one. I had a question about a question to you about Dusty Projects. I have a story idea that has followed me in one form or another since I started writing years and years ago, like the shark in Jaws 4, and I finally started to put it in a form that I thought I was happy with. It was a story that was mostly action-adventure with a subplot of romance. As I wrote, though, I realized more and more that I really cared much more about the romance, and the action-adventure plot had become dull and uninteresting to me. I am more than happy to scrap the part I don't like to make way for more romance, but in doing so I realize that my entire backstory for the main character would no longer work, and I'm struggling to make corrections that would allow me to keep the parts of the story I've written that I like while weeding out the dull parts, and I'm getting tangled up in plot gaps and unanswered questions. I was wondering if you had any similar experience of scrapped then unscrapped projects, and if so, how did you dig yourself out? Hope to hear from you, loyal listener TJ Fulf. Hi, TJ. So, one of the things here is, well, okay, so th there's two things that stand out about this. Is is that one, okay, you've written something, and then you realize that something else about it interests you more, and you're like, okay, well, how do I get rid of this stuff? And he says, okay, like, if I don't have this, the backstory for the characters doesn't make sense. So, okay, I, I would say don't get rid of that part of the story, but de-emphasize it. You can, you know, you don't need to write big, long, detailed scenes about what's going on. You know, still cover those bases, but just don't make that the focus of what the story's about. And also, just kind of as a note, you should not be writing your entire backstory for the main characters into your story. Yeah. But, I mean, oh, I think what you're saying, like, oh, if I pull, basically, to I know, change I'm the just, plot. I'm, I'm just saying that oh, as, yeah. a, as a precautionary note. When you're saying, okay, but when I pull this out then the other stuff doesn't work, and I want to be able to keep those parts. Right. I'm not sure if he means that, oh, well, 
I don't want to have to rewrite those parts at all. I mean, whenever you change something, you're going to have to go back, and even the stuff you're going to keep, you're going to have to tweak it and re-edit it and revise it, just in general. So, I mean, that's one of those suck-it-up-and-deal type things. Yeah, I mean, I would just say finish up and then go back and edit. I mean, yeah. all, of my, all of my books ended up being about different things than I thought they were when I started out. So, uh, I just had to finish the the manuscript, and you know, if you try going back and revising before you're done the manuscript, you're going to get stuck in an endless loop because yeah. you're going to revise early on, and then you're going to get a little bit further, and things are going to change again. You're going to have to go back and revise. Yeah, and your focus is going to keep changing. Your priorities are going to keep changing. Your narrative thrust is going to keep changing, and you're never going to be done. Yeah, you have to keep your narrative thrust even and steady, building up a nice narrative thrust rhythm i knew there was a reason i liked you as my co-host <laughs> not just because i look good with a microphone near my muzzle and your, your your pretty sexy hat that we were talking about last week i know i answered the question why do i wear the hat because it makes me look good because it's awesome um i don't know if that qualifies as experience with scrapped and unscrapped projects but yeah, most anytime I write a long story, invariably it changes in between starting it and finishing it, and I have to go back and. And what happens is you just you go back and you start reading the early sections with a better understanding of what the whole story is about, and then um, you see the rough edges and you smooth them out. Yeah, I mean that's that's how you do it. That's how you uh, you know take something and you know. Like I said, it's like, you know, you're the one telling the story, but there there are parts where you don't necessarily know the story you're telling until it's already over. Right. That's not the same thing as make it up as you go along. Not quite. All right. Last two, I think, are kind of quick, so I think we can, ironically, uh, we can rush through them. Um, all righty. Now, you guys know me, and Kyle, you may especially be aware of my writing speed. It's my crutch. I suck at writing well quickly. As a matter of fact, I'm still surprised that I managed to turn out a half-decent story for the X-Anthology during the course of a month. So my question is, do you have any strategies for writing faster? Uh, that was from Pyro, and the side benefit of not answering questions uh, <laughs> promptly is that sometimes they answer themselves. So recently he wrote us again and said... Dear writers of the Fox and Otter Persuasion, I've had an epiphany of sorts. Earlier, I sent you a question asking how one could write faster. Today, I found myself playing a game when my computer, perhaps fortuitously, decided that it was time to turn off, and did so. I've had that happen, and I hate it. Yeah. It was then that I realized the hour and change that I'd been playing the game could be spent doing other more productive things, namely, writing. And to think that I'm about done with a story for a contest that I probably wouldn't be happy with entering as it required 2,500 words within a two-week time frame. I could have finished the story. So I decided to share this minor epiphany with you guys and your listeners, as they might not have realized this particular wrinkle yet. Also, don't think that I've forgotten about the second challenge you guys have thrown down to me. Think I can't do it? Well, ha! I took your androgynous robot fox and I made something that got Hirosaki-san to squirm in utter delight. That's not too hard. He's a very, all the time. He's a very squirmy otter. 
Perhaps I might strike gold a second time, but in the meantime, I want you guys to keep tabs on me. I am officially calling myself out on your podcast, and if I don't finish the story within three weeks of this letter being read, or at least 2,000 words, then you guys, I don't know, think of something. Woody regards, Pyro. We'll, we like Pyro. I was going to say, we'll revoke his androgynous robot fox privileges. <laughs> no, I don't know. We'll think about something. I'll force him to contribute to another anthology, maybe. Oh, um, that would require you to edit another anthology. Yeah, I know. That's the downside. <laughs> uh, yeah, so again, that's basically just the same thing we were talking about, which is uh, I don't know if there's a trick to writing faster while you're actually writing, but I mean, my trick is be thinking about the stories in odd moments when you're not at the computer, and then when you when you do get to sit down, it's much more in your head. Yeah. As opposed to having to make it up while you're sitting at the computer. Yeah, I mean, otherwise that blank screen is going to be super intimidating. Right. But yeah, just, you know, I mean, I play little card games. One of my tricks is to try to play... I, I need to play games as a break every now and then from writing. So I try to play games that have really short turns. So that I can say, alright, I'm going to play one turn, 30 seconds, and then I'll go back to the writing. As opposed to, like, free cell where you can stare at it for minutes trying to find a move. Oh, yeah, you have to have strategy and stuff with free cell. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, we'll look forward to your story, Pyro. We like, very much like the last one, so yeah. this one should be fun. Made me squirm in Audrey Delight. I always like doing that. Yes, you do. You do it on the podcast just about every time. And then uh, we attend to close out. So, hello, writers of the furry kind. This is Running Cat, your Eastern Washington listener and ever-loving advice taker. I was one of the few who had heard of you guys at Rainforest 09. I remember you being there. Yep. Thank you. So, anyway, I wanted to ask you a question and make a comment about the script challenge. First, the question, with some background. I decided to take a second look at a story I began writing some years ago. I was still in college, and that was over 11 years ago now. I did all my writing in longhand on legal pad, as that was the easiest way for me to always have something to write on. Ooh, I admire your dedication and the state your wrist must be in. I wrote over 1,000 pages when the story began to get tiresome, so I put it aside for a while. Then I rediscovered it some years later and decided to copy it into my computer as I began to get worried of what might happen to the original manuscript. Around uh, 580 pages, handwritten pages that is, having been typed, I once again got tired and began doing my Sarah and Dorothy cases. Uh, he mentions you know, Kyle, he gave a printed copy of him at Rainforest. Uh, then about a week or so ago, I was cleaning my office and found the printed copy of the typed up part of the story and began wondering how many words is in it so far. So to make short story, make a long story short, I know, too late, I found the file and what I had typed in is 112,706 words, and that is only half or so of the transcribed manuscript, which is only three quarters written. So I'm wondering, could this story possibly be way too long? Is it, if it isn't sort of going on to a second draft, I would also like to finish the story someday, as I wrote the ending and just have to get the middle three quarters done. Uh, and then... He adds, as to the script writing, I have some software that is called Final Draft that makes writing scripts a whole lot easier. I had hoped to turn in one of my stories into a script and create a uh, Radio Furry podcast uh, show with them using the software. Any script writing has a whole lot of rules, and this software makes it easier to create any such projects. 
Anyway, I love the show. I'm learning a lot, and I hope to see you both again at Rainforest this year. I will even supply a bottle of wine if need be. Uh, running cat, whose bowling, whose bowler name is Zipcat. So, yeah, I was I was gonna say I wondered if he uh, gave himself that name because Beop told us very in no uncertain terms that you can't give yourself a bowler name. No, that's a, that's a bowler name. Oh, bowler name. Bowler name. Gotcha. Bowler name. You can give yourself your bowler name. That's true. Uh, so I, I got out my calculator here because I'm trying to do some math and I couldn't do, couldn't do it in my head. So half of the manuscript that is only three quarters written was 112,000 words. So three eighths of his manuscript was 112,000 words. So, uh, let me reverse my fractions here. One, one, two. I'm trying to do math in my head, and I know I can't do it. So it looks like he's about on track for, say, a 300,000-word novel. That is long. Um, yeah, and I'm, I'm kind of torn about how to answer this letter, because, you know, on the one hand, we've always said stories are however long they are. Yeah. Um, on the other hand... That's too long. Yeah, that's that's two books at least. Yeah, and more likely three. Yeah. But what I will say is, you know, I'm going back to the previous one where we said don't put all your characters' backstory in the novel. Um, if this is an, one of the first stories he's written, I'm going to guess that there's probably a lot of backstory yeah. in there of the characters that's yeah. not pertinent. He says it was over a decade ago, too. Yeah, I'm going to guess there's a lot of stuff in there that's not pertinent to the actual plot and character development. So, um, Yeah, go through that with a weed whacker or a garden weasel or something and just yes. see what you can start tearing out. And you know. Not a journalist weasel. <laughs> um, I'm sure he'd be happy to if you <laughs> paid him by the hour. Yes, actually, that's true. But yeah, um, again, finish it first, but then go through and be prepared to really narrow it down. If it is possible that you have written an epic fantasy of the scope of George R. R. Martin's Ice Throne of Crow Sword Kings, <laughs> but uh, in that case, you should be able to partition it into a few books, and you know it's going to be several stories, and you should be able to split them up. Do you know there's actually a George R.R. R. Martin uh, Game of Thrones board game? I'm not surprised. I've played it. I didn't think it was very good. It was a bit laborious and tedious. Is there a George R.R. R. Martin How to Get the Next Book Finished game? <laughs> I think they're still working on that one. <laughs> it would be funny if that game came out before the book. <laughs> um, I'll get the Dresden Kodak guy on it. The George R.R. R. Martin publication game. Spend your time answering angry fans who demand to know why you don't have your book written. Explain to them that answering their demands as to why you don't have your book written delays writing the book. It's it's the opposite of the Piers Anthony approach. Which is? Which is? Let your fans write your books for you? Yeah, and then basically just publish a thing and have... You know, author's notes that are like dozens of pages long and just talk about how awesome you and everyone who helped you out is. You know what's really funny is we're going to like, we're talking about um, Denise Crosby and um, <laughs> Piers Anthony and George R. R. Martin on this podcast, and like, we're feeling fairly confident in the knowledge that like maybe 100 people listen to this, and those 
big names aren't among them, but this is going to be out on the internet forever. And someday, like, Piers Anthony's going to be trolling the internet and be like, oh, Unsheathed, I wonder what this is about. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds body. <laughs> One of our listeners I was talking to yesterday said that after listening to the WonderCon episode that they were disappointed that somebody didn't get Denise Crosby and bring her to our table. <laughs> yeah, we tried, but people were not... We didn't give people enough warning. But what? <laughs> All right, so I have my. I, I do have a couple WonderCon stories to share. Um, the uh, I did. I did. I have mentioned Tim Powers as one of my influences as an author, um, especially with some of the occult stuff like Jacks to Open and uh, the ongoing stories in the Furry Fiesta Con book of all are all in that world, kind of inspired by him, which is sort of contemporary occult supernatural-ish, but it's not paranormal. It's not like vampires and werewolves. Yeah. It's ghosts and magic and tarot cards and stuff. But it's really fabulous. And actually, I got to meet him at WonderCon for the first time. Uh, I did not uh, flash my writer props. I just sort of brought the book for him to sign and tried to talk writing with him. And I'm sure... Uh, I tried, you, you would think that, you know, having people come up to you and talk about the, your book all the time would make you more confident and facile when talking to one of your favorite authors, but it doesn't really happen. I think I was kind of like, I like how you do places in your books. <laughs> you book nice. <laughs> you word good. <laughs> right name in book. <laughs> um... But uh, the other thing was, uh, Peter S. Beagle was there, who was author of uh, The Last Unicorn, yeah. and who wrote the Ralph Bakshi Lord of the Rings screenplay, which he told a very amusing story about, but it's his story, so I'm not going to tell it. You'll just have to go find him and ask. Um, but it involves orcs. Uh, oh, dear. No, actually, it involves the Riders of Rohan. But, um, so I'd, I'd gone over to his... Um, booth because it was really close to ours and it was sort of Sunday afternoon and I said you know I should go over and get a picture or something I didn't hadn't actually brought any of his books embarrassingly enough but um, he was really engaging at the panel I went to see him at so I went over there and nobody's really waiting in line for him and I said you know do I have to buy something to get to talk to him and they were like no no just go so I went up and started talking to him about the panel set out you know I'd seen him on the panel and we talked a little bit about um, the movie business and we talked about foxes and he has a he has a story about a wild fox which was an amazing story and after like 10 or 15 minutes um, there was a couple people behind me waiting for autographs so I said well you know I'll let you go and I turn around and there was a young woman there who had been at our table uh, I think the day before I think she'd actually come in on Saturday and she recognized me, and she was like, oh, you're here. And then she turns to Peter S. Beagle, who in the WonderCon program book, it has been said, is mentioned as the greatest living American fantasy author, and said about me, he's got some great books. <laughs> and I, I think I turned kind of red. and um, said, I'd like to read them. <laughs> I don't think I'll, you do. I'll go get them right now. <laughs> um but uh 
yeah, my my tail was kind of wagging when I came back to the booth. Kit said it wagged for quite a while afterwards, and uh, we had a fun little discussion on Twitter about which of my books Peter S. Beagle would like best. I think um, Jacoby said, "Pick your most depressing book and give it to him." Uh, but uh, hmm. I did grab a copy of the New Fables that has my story in it from Sofool Press, and uh, I gave it to Tim Powers. So, oh yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, he probably won't read it, but that's all right. One of these days, someone will be like, they'll have a copy of New Fables that I gave them, or a copy of one of my books, or something, and they'll be stuck on an airplane, and they'll be like, "I have nothing to read," and the bookstore's closed. Oh, let's pick up this book that this creepy guy gave me, and we'll see how terrible it is. Then you know. Then he'll send me an email saying, "Never talk to me again." Oh no! That's that's not how the story goes. You told a bad story, Kyle. <laughs> no, it probably goes. I'll read in the paper like, author says eyes burned out, can never read again. <laughs> oh god! Furry fandom ruined my creativity. Now all I picture is gay naked foxes. That's not a fate worse than death. Not for us. Oh. Um. On on that mildly disturbing note, though. Yeah, we should. Um, well, we will tell you all to write us at unsheathedpodcast at gmail dot com. We do not have any appearances coming up, although uh, I've been sort of kicking around the idea of maybe doing a live show sometime in the Bay Area, just you know, on our home turf. Because I think there's enough people around here who've said they wouldn't mind sitting in on a podcast once in a while. Yeah. So. I'm interested to see how it goes. Maybe we could find some venue that would allow us or, you know, just help pack our secret mountain bunker with people. Um, but we'll we'll figure some stuff out about that. Uh, unsheathedpodcast at gmail.com. Unsheathed on FA. Um I'm Kyle Gold on Twitter, Kyle Gold on Live Journal, Kyle on FA. Yep. Cam Hirasaki, likewise, likewise, likewise. Sometimes with an underscore. Yeah, but. People can figure it out. Yeah. And uh, I think that's it. Uh, remember, butt in chair. Yes, and tail over butt. I don't know what that was supposed to mean. I think it means butt in, not like butt on wolf in chair. I think I've seen a picture like that. I think I've seen many. (laughs) Uh, All right. Good night and uh, happy writing. I promise to be more healthy and less uh, sniffly next time we record. All right. Cheers.